0: Would you stand with me and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 15. We're going to read God's Word together. And just, I always say this, I think, when I'm reading, but it's so good to stand for God's Word. What it does is it says something. It's something reverential about it. God's Word is holy, and we are His people. And so when we stand to read His Word together, it's just communicating how much we value His Word. Genesis 15, one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I shall possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, A deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace you shall be buried at a good old age then in the fourth generation they shall return here for the iniquity of the amorite is not yet complete it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark and behold there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces on that day the lord made a covenant with abram saying to your descendants i have given this land from the river of egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Raphim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. You may be seated.
1: Well, good morning, Reliance. It's been a joy to get to know you, Jonathan, Carolyn. I pray that you have a good time. As sweet as the memories that Adam and I have had at Dallas Logical Seminary, my hope would be that your love for God's Word would only increase. And uh, one of the greatest challenges that I think that I have faced and face, just as we even sang in our second song, may your voice be louder. May your voice clearer than all the others. Because if I were to be honest and to admit it publicly, as I think you would easily do yourself, is that the greatest voice that you often have to battle with is your own. For it competes or it speaks contrary at times to the very voice of God. The author of Genesis has chosen uniquely Different individuals who have had to learn how to respond to the voice of God when spoken. In contrast to this voice that is all natural within us, our own. I mean, we, I've enjoyed Genesis and one is prone to read it purely as a merely a historical event of how we've come to the point where we are in history. But the way the author has shaped it, and I, I don't want to sound like a broken record player, but as you walk slowly through the book of Genesis, what you begin to notice is how incredibly gracious God is towards inconsistent, unreliable, and indecisive people. Whether it was Adam, whether it was Noah, whether it was Cain, whether it was Abram, and even Sarai, you see a God who is working with undecisive or indecisive, unreliable, inconsistent people. And the only thing that is consistent in the story is God Himself. And last week, if we ever had a moment or an individual within the story that seems to finally now respond to the voice of God, rightly, it's in Genesis 14. Where it seems like finally, maybe there is someone who, when hearing the voice of God, actually walks and rests in it. Abram takes on five kings and he, instead of collecting all the resources for himself, gives it all back to to those who had it stolen from them. The king of Sodom even tempts Abram to use the the wealth that he had gained through his victories for himself. And Abram says with this victorious, or this, this aspect of faith, in Genesis fourteen twenty two. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear, you would say, I have made Abram rich. Abram seems to be, when we get to Genesis 14, clearly resting in the promises of God, the Word of God, yet he will be as we will see in the next two chapters, which we'll go through. Today in Genesis 15 and 16, he battles again with other voices. I want you to notice... When we start Genesis 15, this is the fourth occurrence. When God comes before Abram and tells him again, I'm going to fulfill my promises. And Abram wavers in this section. So I want, to, I want to just acknowledge as we walk through with this, that even as we said and sang, May your voice be louder that we all tend to be like Abram. The greatest voice that we're challenged with often is our own. And God affirms himself, point one to Abram in chapter 15. Look at the measures which God goes forth and, and pursues in order to affirm. Abram, I'm with you. Read verse one with me. You're going to notice twice in this, this chapter the emphasis the word of the Lord came. This is not the first occurrence which Abram has had this moment with intervention from God. But here in chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, after this high moment in Abram's life, where he seems to be doing well, the word of the Lord came. And came to Abram in a vision, saying. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. The the pinnacle, it seems, where Abram is doing well, and it's in this moment the Lord responds with this encouragement. I'm with you. I've given you divine protection. I am blessing you. Now notice where Abram begins to waver. Verse 2 striking abram said oh lord god what will you give me stop if you've been diligent with with reading through genesis or just listening as we've gone along it was genesis chapter 12 when abram was called to leave his family his country his relatives to go to a place he didn't know in a matter of short time from Genesis 12, he literally gets into the promised land and has utterly nothing. Got his wife. Oh yeah, she's barren. Got Lot, who's clearly not going to stick around with Abram. He's literally, literally resourceless. But when you get... resourceless a word? I don't know. Um, he literally gets to the point, when you get to chapter 13, verse 2, that his riches have increased in dramatic forms. Now, when Abram, chapter 13, verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and in gold. He has, he's become, in just a short matter of time, become so resourceful that Lot is forced to leave because their possessions is so, pop, so big that they can't stay in the same place. And he has the audacity the audacity to ask, Oh, Lord, what will you give me? Sometimes I think as I relate to Abram because God has been faithful to his promises. This is the fourth time that he's going to say, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars as we will see. And this is the fourth occurrence here. And here he's wondering, what are you gonna give me? And he is unable to see what God has already done for Abram. That he can only focus in on the one thing that God has withheld from him. If you understand what the author is doing with Genesis, remember, God created a beautiful garden. And in that garden, he put all sorts of fruit trees. And he said to Adam and Eve, this is all yours. Eat from all that you want, except for this one tree. And Abram's perspective is clearly on this one aspect. You've given me everything, but you have withheld this one issue. You haven't given me a son. He thought it might have been Lot. And look what he does. I'm still childless. Let's read again verse 2. He's struggling. He's wavering. Abram said, Oh Lord, what will you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. It wasn't Lot whom you wanted to be, the descendant of my family. Maybe it's this other guy. And Abram, while he sees the prosperity of God, doesn't know what to do. And so he begins to point to other resources available to God in order, which in his mind, to fulfill the promises. And it's at this point, he literally, in verse 3, uses the word, yours might be translated, and mine is translated, sense. Look at verse 3, and Abram said, sense, or the, the word is, behold, look, can't you see? you have given no offspring to me one born in my house is my heir what i love about genesis 15 what i've loved about this story thus far about abram is the incredible grace that god gives towards abram this is the fourth occurrence by which he is reaffirmed reminded and strengthened he will strengthen in this section abram the promise which he gave to him and he says a fourth time and for a fifth time now then behold, word, look, the word of the Lord came to him again. Five times. How many times do you need God to talk to you before you start listening to his voice? That's, the author is trying to plead with you as the reader. You know the greatest challenge you have to face in your own life when you're faced with the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, is your own. Five times. And look at the, this God. I am compelled by, in the way that he guides Abram along the way. He doesn't say, "I've told you four times." Not only that, you have been rebellious, inconsistent. He even said that your wife was your sister and a king of Egypt married. Like he didn't bring any of that up. So the word Lord came to him saying, "This man Eliezer." Will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. You're gonna have your own son, Abram. He shall be your heir. And so the Lord he took him outside, and he's gonna take him before his creation. Now look towards the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. It's at this moment Abram, seeing the stars, recognizing the power of God that he can create, the lights within the heaven surely can give life within through him, through a barren woman. And as a response, you see verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. and And he reckoned, the Lord reckoned it to him, Abram, as righteousness. Which is what we've gone through Romans and we've come to enjoy is that the, the, the means by which one is made righteous before God is when man responds to the voice of God, believing that which God can do and entrusting ourselves to it. Righteousness occurs, or occurs for an individual, when we believe what God says he can do, and he rests upon it. But the moment is quick, it passes quickly. Verse 7. He asks yet another question. Well, you, first question was what? What will you give me? The second question: How will I know? Right? When? When is this going to take place? How will I know? So, you, if if anything, I feel like I want to rush through 15th. So I can get to Abram's response in 16. But God is carefully working with Abram and strengthening him in his promise. And he reminds Abram, look it, I took you out of Ur, I am the one who gave you all this land, and I will give it to you. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. You have resources, you have money, you have allies now within the lands. Even King Melchizedek affirms the divine blessing which is upon your life. How have you this all happened? I've done it. Verse 8. Abram responds. "O Lord God. How may I know. That I will possess it. For the sake of time. God's going to answer with another six occurrence. And he's going to give Abram. A covenantal promise. Through a covenantal religious ritual which we heard when read this morning, he asked Abram to get the animals to cut them up. And when the covenant agreement is established, Abram is once again passive and sleeping. And in his passivity, the presence of God comes and he walks between the, the animals which have been split. That if I don't uphold my promises, they, that I may become like these animals. How much more, Abram, do you need? Chapter 15. Six occurrences. The voice of God coming and affirming once again. I would say, I'm ready. Right? Time after time after time after time again. God has affirmed His promises. And now... Once you get to verse 18, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. How much more do you want God to do? Which comes to then, what we ask is now, what is Abram's response? I feel unsatisfied. That is probably not as detailed as we should, but I want to get to Genesis 16 where we see once again the graciousness of God, which God gives towards people, and we ask ourselves, what is Abram's response going to be now? Verse one, chapter sixteen. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, oh yeah, remember, who had been had borne him no ch- child. And she had an Egyptian maid whose was name was Hagar. Remember, when Abraham got the first time, got the promise, and things got difficult, there was a famine in the land. Do you remember what he did? He fled to Egypt. It's been 10 years for Sarai in the promised land. you sure God has fulfilled his promises? They have resources like they, they don't know what to do with it. Allies have aligned with them. King Melchizedek has blessed them and wants peace with them. Kings of foreign lands now fear them. She's barren. Ten years is a long time to wait on the promises of God to be fulfilled. And Abram is literally, grammatically, and literally finds himself stuck in the middle between Sarai And not Hagar and the voice of the Lord. Hagar is going to become this pawn within the story. Which Sarah is going to use to try to further the promises of God by human agency. Sarah, after being worn out, I want you to ask yourself this question. Whom does she sound like? Look at verse 2 been hard, the Sarai said to Abram, "Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. perhaps I will obtain children through her. First, the first thing she does is she accuses of God of not being faithful. her, God has blessed her in every other way, except there has been divine oversight in this one area. If you watch her, what she does later here in a moment, and I'll tip my hand, she sounds like the serpent in the garden, as God truly said. You cannot eat from this one tree. God has withheld something from you. The question is, is when this response is put forward or this this word has been put forward to Abram, how will he respond? Look at verse 2. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. What is the author doing? Like, throughout all the text up to this point, humanity has been prone to deal with either responding to the voice of God or to the voice of man. And here, Abram, after how many times? Countless times of God affirming his promises. He hears the... Not wisdom of Sarai, but the human reason of Sarai is wife, and listen to it. Look at verse 3. She's going to do exactly what Eve did with Adam. After Abram had lived ten years in land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. Remember, this is exactly what Eve does. She saw that the fruit was desirable to make one wise, took of the fruit, and then what? Ate of it and gave it to her husband. It's like, as the reader, we're thinking, no, don't do this. We've already seen the consequences, the havoc placed upon society when men do not listen to the voice of God and hear we're like pleading with Abram, don't do it. Don't listen to the voice of Sarai. And yet he does it again. And the consequences of this decision is disastrous, even still to this present day. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, you see, not only did she have a problem. Verse 4 and 5, I'll read here in a second. Not only does she have a problem with God, she accused God of holding this one thing from her. She sees that Hagar is pregnant. She's going to blame Abram. Verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. First, it was, your, it was God's fault. Now it's your fault, Abram. Man. It's so easy to accuse Sarai. Can't you see who the problem is? But the reality is, is that's exactly what you and I do, is that when we are faced with the truth and decide not to respond and rest ourselves upon the voice of God, we just start pointing fingers at everybody else, it's your fault. Abram's like this. He's like Adam. He's this passive man, Right? When Eve takes, he doesn't say, no, the voice of the Lord said, no. Abram, when Sarai speaks, he's like, all right. Like when I get to our conviction response, it's like, don't marry another woman. Even if your wife says, no, that's not the point. The point is, if you went back to Genesis 2, gone, defined what marriage is. Sarai is essentially doing what her husband has already done. We went down to Egypt, just say that you're my sister. Sarai, well, God's withheld one thing from us, it's rough. Let's go back to Egypt. Who's Egypt? The maid, the maid. The Egyptian maid. in which it's not just Abram and Sarai who do this, but historically Israel as well, when things get tough, they go back to the default backup plan, which has always been Egypt, which we have our own. Sarai says. Abram, in some ways, he should be held accountable. You should have. This is your fault. But in reality, it's her fault as well. But her response towards Hagar is hard. She despised her. And she suggests this child which is now in this woman. She's going to treat her so harshly and oppress her. That she's going to flee. And Abram, now, he's been waiting. He's, he's going to be waiting like some 85 years for a child. He has one. It's in Hagar. It's his first child. And Sarai's like, get rid of her. Look what she does. Look what he says in verse 6. But Abram and said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Meanwhile, he doesn't even call her his wife. The author reminds us in verse 3, he is his wife. Oh, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly. And Hagar, she fled from her presence. And 14 was fun. When Abram is resting in the promises of God, and even when kings are trying to bless him, he preaches the word of God. No, I'm waiting on the the Lord to bless me. And when we get to chapter 15, he has to be helped along the way. And then when we get to chapter 16, he is utterly hit bottom. If there is any warning for you and I here, like. When mankind refuses to respond to the voice of God, it only produces havoc for families and everyone around you. The question is, is like, is there anyone who is going to model for us as the reader what genuine faith looks like? And responding to the voice of God. And the person which you wouldn't think would actually respond in faith. Is the person who does. And it's Hagar. She's so oppressed. She flees for her life with her child within. And guess who shows up as she retreats? Verse 7. This is the God I love. Now the angel of the Lord. Another term to, to reference the Lord God. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, he knows her. Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai." And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her, to her authority. Now, one of two things is going to happen in your mind as you read this. The first, which happens in my mind, is no way. <laughs> there is absolutely no way that I'm going back to the woman who about killed me. The word of rest here, or which the 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 the, the term Treating her harshly is the term that now gets picked up later in the book of Exodus for how Pharaoh treats Israel for 400 years. And she, and the Lord says, Go back. Nope. The writer's doing something with what he's doing. Because what you see next is a woman, in spite of what she sees, And experienced trust in the voice of the Lord. Remember Abram. He takes on kings. And the the Lord shows up and he says, I'm your refuge. I'm your protection. I'll take care of you. And here's a woman. Who's been watching all along. Willing to do what Abram and Sarai have not. Verse 10. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will. This sounds Abrahamic. I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to to your affliction. What you, what you learn to love about the God in Genesis. Is that he does show grace. To the inconsistent and rebellious people. but he also extends his hand. Towards those who are dealt harshly with. And have faced oppression. And he gives her this promise. It's a, it's a hopeful promise. With a caveat. Verse 12. Look at this. Your son Ishmael, he will be a wild donkey of a man. How is that a blessing? He's going to be free. Yeah. Sarah, Sarai and Abram have treated you like a plan in their scheme. You're an instrument. A surrogate, surrogate womb. You're like... A piece of meat in order for them to use to further their aim, at receiving the promises of God. But God has seen your oppression and I will bless you. Your son is going to be free. And his hand, however, because of how Abram and Zara act, will be against everyone. He's going to have our life. He's going to be free. And everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all of his brothers. Look what she does next. This is the first woman within Genesis that receives blessing. Pretty cool. And her response is this. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? And so therefore, the well was called Bir Lahar Roy. think you guys saying that partially right? Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Notice three times. Like, it was on, like, the, the camera lens was on Abram and Sarai. It's shifted. The writer wants you to see Hagar. In spite of everything that she sees, she's willing to go back where it's hard and trust in the Lord. Whereas Abram and Sarai, they face a little bit of challenge and they're ready to scheme, rebel, lie, whatever. Three times the writer is going to emphasize this. This is Abram's first son, He was born to him. Verse 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Two chapters. Chapter 15 starts with two occurrences. Abram, will you trust in the Lord in my voice? Numerous times have come before you and affirmed my promises. Sarai puts Abram in the middle between him and the Lord and puts him in a position where he has to choose which voice to listen to. And Hagar, even within the unfaithfulness of men, is put before the reader as the one who's ultimately demonstrating genuine faith. God is being the God for Abram and Sarai who's offering grace and the God who sees the oppressed. The whole point throughout all of it, Hagar is the one trusting in the Lord and resting herself on the voice of Lord, even though going back to Sarai is going to mean more hard times. Point three, our convictional response. How many times does it take for us to get what we're supposed to do? One of the reasons why we spend so much time reading this is because we genuinely believe it is the voice of God given to his people to respond to. In creative ways. And often I remind you of this regularly. There are many voices which bombard your life, which are essentially putting you in the middle between how the world thinks or how God thinks. you will see this rhythm whether it be in the proverbs or in the Psalms in Genesis, Exodus, the Gospels or even Paul as the church goes forth out into the world and which God's people must know God's word, His voice, in order to rightly respond to it. 2 Timothy is probably one of the ones that has been most used to remind God's people of how to respond. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus... Who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Why does he say preach the word? Because it's it's God's voice to his people. And one of the reasons why we read Genesis fifteen, sixteen, is to remind ourselves of the chaos and the havoc which occurs when His people don't. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For there will be a time which will come when they will endure sound doctrine. Will not, excuse me. There will be a time when they come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled. Only wanting to listen to the way that they think how things should should go. Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Abram was prone to this. Sarai was prone to this. You and I are prone to this. One of the great disasters which has occurred even in my own life is we don't know what God has said. And so you're left listening to your own voice in your head. When Jesus came, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that repentance included this idea, my word is supreme. And genuine salvation righteousness or righteousness has occurred when you rest by faith in his promises and what he said. And responding in repentance to that. Giving up of your right to think for yourself. Because he's king, he's creator of all things, and he gets to dictate how we live our life. Now, if Jesus was like Sarai or Abram, there is no possible way that he would go to the cross. Why? Because it's hard. And yet he showed for us the model of what it looks like for the righteous to entrust themselves to the word of God. The voice of God. And in the garden, he said, not my will, but yours. And through the, through the shame which occurs on the crucifixion of the cross, God brought out glories of salvation for all who believe. We must be diligent to know his word. And not only to know his word. To be be captivated by its word. So that when the other voices come. We are not like Adam. Or Abram. But we are more like Hagar. And trusting ourselves. To the one who speaks rightly and sees more than what we can see. And it's that aim in which Paul will say, when people trust in the word of God, that is how the righteous man lives. That is how the righteous man is saved, declared righteous. Because the only voice that matters is what we read twice in Genesis 15 the word of God. The voice of God. I'll compel you with one last thing. I don't have this on the screen for you. There was a year when we actually said, let us memorize Psalm chapter 1. Some of you might remember this. But in Psalm chapter 1, it shows the reader that the scriptures are not to be read like the lion, which in the wardrobe. Where you read it and you put it down. No. What the scriptures are. Are the words of God. The voice of God. For his people to respond to. That require meditation. Reflection. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Or stand in the path of the sinners. Or sit in the seat of the scoffers. The world thinks. It has a voice it tries to compel. What does the righteous man do? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Over and over and over and over, he thinks about Why? Because he knows that the greatest voice that he has to deal with when the voice of the Lord comes is his own. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water which yield its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither and whatever he does he prospers. The Lord came to Abram how many times? Five, six, seven times? He said, come again. In Genesis 17. So shall we as well call and challenge each other to go regularly back to his voice. Which convicts us. Because the wicked are not so. They're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment. Nor sinners in the assemblies of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Because they, they hear his voice and they respond to it. But the way of the wicked will perish. It's easy to become critical of, uh, against Abra, Abram and Sarai. But we also to acknowledge ourselves that we don't often let the voice of God speak into our life through his word. And I pray, if you haven't started reading Genesis, that you would do a chapter a day. And learn from these individuals as they learn, as God brings them along in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word. For it gives us life. It gives us direction. It helps us see how to rightly respond to the world in front of us. It allows us to recognize what restores our soul and corrects it makes wise the simple things at which we think are complex and they are like a lamppost but so often we are like Abram and Sarai even after hearing the word of the Lord over and over again choose to go our own way Lord I thank you for the faithfulness of Hagar and the blessing which you had given upon her for her response to the voice of God and I pray that we as well, as we come, become more strengthened in who God is in our life, that we would respond to the teachings of Christ in a way that represents that faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.